Amen. Well, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's open this morning to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. This morning, we're going to talk about following God at all costs. Following God at all costs. Now, as you make your way to Daniel chapter 3, you're going to notice what I assume is a very, very familiar passage. This is a passage have looked at if you were raised in church like some of us this is a passage that you remember as a child in vacation bible school it's a passage that you have probably heard over and over and over again when you pro Combine the word over and story, you get ori, in case you were wondering what just happened there. My brain doesn't fire on all cylinders very often, but anyway. And so you have the story here of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at this text within its context and ask ourselves the question, what is God trying to reveal to us through this true and amazing story. What is it that God wants us to see here in this passage? And so we're going to look at what it takes to follow God at all costs. And in the text, we're going to see four truths that we must accept to follow God at all costs. Now, here's what we're going to do. Since it's such a large chapter, we're going to break it up into different reasons. And so we're just going to begin by reading the first seven verses. We're going to kind of set the scene, if you will. Then we're going to pray and we'll make our, through the, uh, make our way through this a little bit at a time. And so picking up in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's pray, and then we'll walk through this together. Lord, we do thank you again for just helping us to be able to be here this morning, Lord, that we might sit under the authority and the preaching of your word, Lord, that you might work in us and through us through the power of your word. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored as we walk through this text. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and our eyes. I pray that you would anoint me through your Holy Spirit. Lord, that as I preach this text, it would be you speaking through me. And Lord, you would be glorified as a result. And so we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Well, as we look at this text again, we're going to see four truths that we must accept in order to follow God at all costs. Number one, following God will oftentimes result in going against the culture. Let me say that again, because I think it's something we experience and is not a shock to any of us. Following God will oftentimes result in us going against the culture. And so in chapter 3, we see that it's coming right off the hills of chapter 2, and it appears that it's not too far removed timing-wise from chapter 2. And what it appears, it appears as if Nebuchadnezzar, who, remember, had the dream back in chapter 2 of this large statue where he was the head of gold that was multi-layered and represented the four coming kingdoms and all that we saw back in chapter 2 appears that Nebuchadnezzar sort of had an idea based upon his dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar commissions the building of a large image, a large statue that stood 90 feet tall and 9 foot wide. That may have included the base, so it might have been like a large base with a, with a human type figure that would have probably resembled Nebuchadnezzar or maybe his favorite god Marduk. Or maybe this was a large sort of totem pole structure that was very tall and sort of narrow. We're not exactly sure what it was. We're not exactly sure where it was because the plain of Dora is no longer historical historically uh, able to be able to sort of identify it exactly. But for whatever reason, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar sort of had this idea, I'm going to make a large statue of gold, and I'm going to have all the people come out and worship this statue. But notice in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't appear to invite all of Babylon. It's not like he invites all the citizens. Notice the ones identified are the leaders of Babylon. Right? He invites all the important people, all the political leaders, almost as if this is going to test their loyalty. As a matter of fact, if you notice, as I tried to sort of emphasize it in reading, notice that as he sort of the herald proclaims this, he proclaims it to all the peoples, the nations, and the languages. Now remember, just like Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judah and taken captives, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded many territories and most likely taken many people captive. Most likely many nations had gone through the same three-year training period that Daniel and his companions had went through back in chapter 3. And so it appears as if Nebuchadnezzar is using this as a way to test the loyalty of the peoples, the nations, and the languages that now make up his political leadership there in Babylon. And so the herald makes it really, really clear. When the music plays, everyone is to bow down and worship this image. If you bow down and worship the image, everything's great. But if you refuse to bow, then you will be cast into the fiery furnace where you will certainly die. Most likely this was the same furnace that they to melt the gold that the statue would have been overlaid in. And so just as you sort of imagine this and visualize this, just imagine this massive furnace over here that has been used to melt the gold, as Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down or go into the fiery furnace. And so the stage has been set, and the question is, what would we do and what will the Jews in this story do? How are they going to respond to this type of situation? And the reality is, 
even though we may never face a situation like this, we do face this same choice again and again in our culture. And the choice isn't bow down or fiery furnace. The choice in the culture that we live is oftentimes we will either worship the world or we will worship God. We will either fear man or we will fear God. Right? And so what we experience is that as believers, we oftentimes find that our beliefs and what we know to be right and true based upon God's word is going against the culture time and time and time again. Right? If, if you, am I alone? Am I the only one that experienced this? Right? Is everybody else here? Right? Because the people watching at home don't even know that there's an audience so far. Right? All right. So we're awake. All right. We're good. All right, I mean, think about this. We, we see this all the time, right? We see this uh, in, in our school systems. School systems are promoting and approving a way of life that we biblically think is incorrect and sin, right? We see this politically. We see this all over the place. And what is becoming crystal clear to us as believers is that what we believe, the truth of God's Word, is no longer tolerated and appreciated in our culture. And so we are going to find ourselves continually going against culture time and time again. And if we're going to follow God at all costs, if we're going to give God our everything, then we need to know up front that following Him means that we will be going against the grain. We will be swimming upstream. We will be going against the culture. That is going to cost us, friends, it's going to cost us popularity. It's going to cost us jobs. It's going to cost us all sorts of things because our culture is not going to appreciate what we believe. And if we're going to follow God at all costs, we have to understand that we are going to be resisted and sometimes even hated by the culture. That's why Jesus tells us in Luke chapter verses 27 and 28 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it the cost to following god will oftentimes result in us going against culture and then secondly following god will sometimes result in being singled out and persecuted. Now, as we make our way into verse 8, it, it's, it's, it's sort of telling time. And so what we find is in verse 8, Therefore at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews. And they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought back. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image 
that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, the reality is we will probably never face this level of persecution here in the United States. The truth is we are able to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus in a fairly comfortable environment here in the U.S., right? We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't experience this type of persecution, this type of in our normal life. However, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow God at all costs, we have to understand that there will be times when we will be singled out and persecuted for our faith. I'll never forget the first time that I experienced this personally, and I'm almost ashamed to, to tell the story, not because you, some of you have heard it before, but because the level of persecution is so, so incredibly small, right? It's nothing like what our brothers and sisters around the world experience. It wasn't real persecution in any way, shape, or form. I was made to feel a little uncomfortable as I was singled out for my faith. But I'll never forget that I was in a college classroom. It was a sociology class. And the professor was explaining to the class what Christians believe about a hot topic of the time back then. And I remember just sitting there listening to him explain what Christians believed. And obviously he was not only not a believer, but he was antagonistic towards believers. And so he was painting just the most awful picture whatsoever he could of believers and what Christians believed. And I remember just feeling God urging me the whole time, say something, say something, say something, say something. And so finally, I raised my hand and I said, can, can, I, can I just interject that that is not what we as Christians believe? That is not what God's Word says and that is not an accurate portrayal of what I as a believer believes. And I'll never forget him saying, well, then by all means, please come down and share with us what Christians believe. And I remember just sort of saying, okay, Lord, thanks for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I remember going down and standing up before the class. And it wasn't a, a massive class, but there was 100 people there. And I remember explaining what we as believers believed concerning the topic. And I'll never forget just being singled out. And when I thought that I was going to get some support from the Christians in the room, I got nothing of the sort. As a matter of fact, I had Christians raising their hands saying, no, 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 that's hateful, that's wrong. Not what Scripture says. And I find myself being very singled out, not persecuted. I don't consider that persecution. But I remember just feeling alone when I was clearly standing on the truth of God's Word. I've grown since then. I've matured since then. I know more of God's Word now than I did back then. But what I was standing on was still to this day the truth of God's Word. It just wasn't tolerated by society, and it was not tolerated even by some supposed Christians in that classroom. And I remember the feeling of being singled out. Now, I said sometimes you'll be singled out and persecuted because the reality is we aren't oftentimes singled out and persecuted like we see in this story. But this text makes it very, very clear that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are singled out and persecuted for their faith. 
First of all, we're not sure how the king missed three of his top advisors not bowing down in the first place. It might have been like I would have done that instead of, you know, standing center stage and calling attention to themselves, hey, king, we're not bowing, right? They may have played the wisdom card and they may have sort of slipped off to the side and kind of out from the, the, the point and the visual point of the king and sort of just stood off, maybe backs against the wall like, you know, used to do at a high school dance and sort of, sort of just let everything happen without them bowing. However, there were other wise men that were noticed malicious against the Jews. So whether they were jealous, whether they were racist, whether they just hated these three guys, they came to the king and they said, Oh, king, live forever. We love you. And we love your new decree. What an incredible image that is. We all enjoy the opportunity to bow down and worship that giant statue that you just made. Oh, I can't imagine how powerful that statue must be that you had made by man's hands, right? But we're so thankful for the opportunity to worship that thing. However, we want you to know, King, that three Jews that you, by the way, appointed over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they must hate you, they must despise your word, they must hate your gods, because when everybody else bowed to worship, they refused to bow. Now, first of all, think about the moment when everyone around you bows down to worship the false god with the music blazing in the background. I mean, the whole purpose of this was to make this an emotionally charged patriotic experience where you would bow down and worship this image. But these three guys, O King, whom we love, they refuse to bow down and they refuse to worship. And so here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are singled out and here comes the persecution. Nebuchadnezzar is full of rage because his word has been disobeyed. And as you haven't, if you haven't noticed already, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't appear to be a pleasant guy to be against, right? Remember back chapter 2, all the wise men either tell me what I dreamed and what it meant or I'm going to rip you from limb to limb and lay your house to ruin. Or this time in chapter 3, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and let you burn to death. And don't for, he hadn't forgot about ripping you from limb to limb because at the end of this, he's going to say the same thing. If you talk bad about their God, you get ripped from limb to limb. He's a violent guy, right? He's not, he's not a pleasant guy. And so just understand that going before the king after having disobeyed the king was not pleasant. And so here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in to the presence of the king. And in verse 13, we are told that Nebuchadnezzar is filled with furious rage. And he says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is this true? Did you really disobey the command that I had just given? Was I not clear that at the sound of music you were to bow down and worship the image? Now, for some reason, God had given favor to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because Nebuchadnezzar does what I'm sure he does not often do. He gives them a second chance. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the music again. We're going to strike up the band just for the three of you. And at the sound of the music, if you bow down and worship this image, then all will be good. However, if you refuse, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace and you will die. Focus in on verse 15 now. Because here's the crux of the issue. Here's the heart of the issue. Nebuchadnezzar says, 
to them in verse 15. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, the fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, we're going to see throughout the rest of this chapter and even in the chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 that really the heart of the issue is who has the most power, man or God? Whom should we fear, man or God? And what God is going to prove time and time and time again is the power of man is no match for the power and the reality and the glory of God. Right? Who do we think we are to stand up and reject the God who created all things. And what Nebuchadnezzar says is he says, listen, I've had experience with your God. I know you serve the God of Daniel. By the way, Daniel, remember, was set in the presence of the king. He served in the king's castle, in the king's court. Probably why he's not here in this moment is because he's probably still back in Babylon, sort of running the, the, the castle, if you will, running headquarters, if you will. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I know your God. I'm familiar with your God. I know that you serve the same God as Daniel who interpreted the dream. I know your God's powerful, but I'm here to tell you there is not a God alive who can deliver you out of my hands. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not afraid of your God. You should be afraid of me instead of worrying about your God right now. And so, again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a decision to make. And the question that I would love to ask again is what would we do? You see, we may not face this level of persecution ever in our lives. But if we have any hope of standing firm in the midst of great persecution, we have to decide now that our God is worth everything, including our very lives. If you haven't already decided that Jesus and following Jesus is more important than your life, more important than anything and everything that you have, then when the moment comes, like many of us have, you will fall to the temptation and you will fall to the fear of man. What causes us not to open our mouth and share our faith? Afraid of what others might think. What causes us not stand up for Jesus what causes us not to follow the Lord when we are going against the culture it's the fear of man right and what we have to decide here and now today is that we fear God and we love God more than anything else including our own lives we have to decide that God is worth our everything we have to fear God more than we fear man. We have to love God more than we love this world, right? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now faced with the decision. You will either forsake your God and live, or you will serve your God and then quickly and certainly die. So following God will oftentimes result in going against the culture. Following God will sometimes result in being singled out and persecuted. And then thirdly, following God will always require entrusting your life to God. Now, verses 16, 17, and 18 
are incredibly, incredibly powerful verses. Look with me again as we read verses 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answer and say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us, excuse me, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I don't know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the first time the music played. Maybe they were off to the side not to be noticed. Maybe the crowd was just so vast that the king didn't pay attention or didn't notice. Maybe the king had his head bowed and nobody was looking around. I'm not sure if they were kind of hiding off to the side, but I can tell you where they're at right now. Right now, they're standing toe-to-toe, looking the king in the eye, and they're saying, don't worry about playing the music. It's not worth your time. We will not bow. Do what you want. They They are standing firm in their trust in God, and they're saying, king, we don't fear you at all. We fear our God. And the reality is, you asked what God can save us from your hands. We firmly believe our God can and will save us from your hands. We're not worried about you. We're worried about our God. And it's not a matter of if our God will save us. It's a matter of if our God will save us, not if he can save us. Notice that in verse 18. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, you might be right. We might die. But even if we die, it doesn't mean that our God is too weak. It just means that we love God more than we love you. We fear God more than we fear you. We will not bow. And in doing so, what they do is they entrust their to God and God alone. Listen, they're, they're not trying to figure out a way out of the situation. Right? So, what do you do put in this situation? Right? Here, here's some of the things I thought of. Right? Maybe, maybe in a moment of weakness, everybody bows and we go, oh, look at our shoe, God. Oh, just fix this real quick and tie my shoe. <laughs> Got away with that one, right? Maybe we, we get down and we, we say, Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't worship this false thing in front of me, but, but I do like living. And so, God, I'm just here to confess that you are God and I love you and, and I'm going to do everything I can to stay alive, right? Maybe we do walk around the corner and hide. Maybe as soon as the music plays, we go, oh, man, i got to go to the restroom. Anybody know where the bathroom is around this place? Right? Like, maybe we try to get away from it. But what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do is they stand firmly entrusting their lives to God and not their wisdom, their manipulation, or their fear. They're willing to die for their faith. They're willing to die in order to follow Jesus. And I'm just telling you, not from experience, but I'm telling you, the moment doesn't get tougher than what they're experiencing here in this text. And what I want you to notice is that they love God and they're trusting God even if it means that God may let them die. Because the reality is, as the text makes clear, God may not rescue them from the fire. God may instead rescue them through the fire. Here's what I mean by this. End of the story, you've heard it. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be miraculously delivered from death and they will continue to serve God on earth. Fast forward to Acts chapter 7. Stephen will be the first martyr in the New Testament to die for his faith while preaching Jesus. Stephen is also going to be delivered from persecution. But he won't be delivered by going on to live a long life serving God. Instead, he will be delivered through death. And he will be delivered into the presence of Jesus by laying down his life for his faith. And I just want to make sure that we're all clear. I want to make sure the children listening don't assume that if I stand up for Jesus, Jesus will make the difficult times go away because that is not true. Oftentimes, Jesus uses difficult times to mold us and shape us and to bring him glory like he does in this text. Right? God is glorified through the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is also glorified through the death of Stephen. And as it stands today, by the way, they're all four in heaven with Jesus. So it really doesn't matter when and how they died. Because their eternity is the same. Amen? And if we're going to follow God at all costs, we have to entrust our lives and our deaths to God. We have to acknowledge that He knows best. And even when we don't like what God's will is or understand what God's will is, which is so oftentimes in our lives, we still know He is best and His will is best. Amen? And so we're willing to follow Him at all costs. Therefore, whether by life or by death, we must entrust ourselves fully unto God, knowing that He alone is worthy. Following God will oftentimes result and going against the culture. Following God will sometimes result in being singled out and persecuted. Following God will always require entrusting your life to God. And then fourthly and finally, following God will always result in seeing God's faithfulness. It'll always result in seeing God's faithfulness. Now, you may not see God's faithfulness on this earth in this life, but you will see that God is faithful in the end. Right? So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're about to see the faithfulness of God. Remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is about to die, he looks up into heaven and he sees the faithfulness of God. Amen? Some people won't see the faithfulness of God until they get to heaven and realize God is faithful. I'm here. Eternity has just begun. Amen? But notice what happens in verses 19 and following. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with... Fury. He is beside himself in anger. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their clothes, their, their, excuse me, their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments. And they were to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Now the king makes this order in such haste it goes on to say that he doesn't have time to think through the logistics of what he's just ordered. The, burn, the, the, the furnace is heated to the max and then some. It's way too hot for anyone to be able to stand near it. He calls the mightiest men of Babylon to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Tie them up with their clothes. Bind them now. Time is of the essence. You know what Nebuchadnezzar's doing? He's trying to hurry up before God has a chance to save them. That's what he's doing. He's doing it in haste. He's seen the power of their God. He's not a fool. And so he's like, act quick. 
bring the strongest men, and let's get this done before their God can save them. If we can get them in the fire, I'll have one. And so he quickly ties them up. He gets the strongest men to carry these guys up. And the fire is so hot that when the men open the top of the furnace to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, the fire consumes the mighty men who carry them up. But that's okay. Because in one last final act, those mighty men manage to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego close enough that when they die, the three boys, young men, fall into the fiery furnace. And I can guarantee you, Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, whoo, got him. Right? Take that, God of Israel. Take that, God, that I defeated in battle in overtaking Judah to begin with. I wasn't afraid of you then, and I'm not afraid of you now. Take that. My God is stronger than their God. Until Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Atrips, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, they gathered together. They begin to inspect and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their clothes were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Listen, we're, we're having a bonfire tonight at church. And I guarantee you, if you're anywhere in the yard of the church, you will need to take a shower when you get home because you will smell like smoke, Right? I saw the wood pile out there. It's not going to be the fiery furnace, right? Like it's not going to consume you if you get close. But I can promise you, you will smell like smoke. But these three men in the midst of the fire come out and you can't even smell the smoke on them, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trust in him and their bodies rather Oh, excuse me, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. There it is. And their houses shall be laid into ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province of Babylon. So what is God trying to reveal to us through this story that is true and miraculous? Well, I think a couple things are going on here that I want to highlight. First of all, God is trying to reveal to us what it really takes to follow him. You see, we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we say, wow. Those guys are in the hall of faith. They actually are, Hebrews chapter 11. Those guys are mentioned in the hall of faith. Those who have extreme faith and devotion to God. I'm so thankful that God doesn't expect that kind of devotion of me. But the reality is, 
that is what God expects from all of us. Amen? Listen, oftentimes we come before the Lord and, and we say yes to certain things that God's offering. God says, I'm offering you forgiveness of your sins if you'll put your faith in my son Jesus. And we say, yes, we want forgiveness. God says, I'm, I'm offering you an eternal friendship and fatherhood and sonship where you go from being enemies of God to children of God. And we say, yes, by all means, we want that. And, and God says, I'm, I'm offering you an eternity in heaven instead of an eternity in hell. And we say, that's a no-brainer. We, we want that. And God says, what I, what I want in return is I want you to follow me. And we say, yeah, we can do that. He says, no, no, no. I, I want you to follow me at all costs. I, I want you to love me more than you love your own life. I, I want you to, to take up your cross. In other words, I want you to die to yourself so that you will follow me faithfully and true and we say okay let's start walking and see how this goes amen that's not say when we walk down the aisle and we give our hearts to jesus it's not what we really say when someone's leading us to christ and we accept that's not what we think but that's inevitably what we do oftentimes is we start the process of following jesus we start the process of walking with god and when temptation comes, when difficulties come, we begin to hem and to haul. We, we, we begin to struggle because we're not ready to really follow God. And so what I think God is trying to do and reveal to us in this text is that this is what it takes to follow God. So count the cost before you say yes to following God. Now, we will not all face the fiery furnace. Matter of fact, probably none of us will. We will not all be asked to die for our faith and stance in Jesus. Likely, none of us will. But we are all called to follow after God and to give our all to King Jesus. We are all called to love Jesus more than we love our lives. We are all called to follow God no matter what it takes. And that's what this text is revealing. You following Jesus may not look like this, but it ought to look really, really close to this. Amen? And so I would ask you, are you following God at all costs? And then secondly, I think God is using this text to point us to His Son, Jesus. Look with me again, back in the text, picking up with me in verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up, he asked, didn't we cast in three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, yes, true. But he answered in verse 25, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, many scholars would argue that this is what they call a theophany, a, a glimpse of God in the flesh. I would go further, like many scholars, I believe and I think without doubt this is what we would call a Christophany, which is an appearance of Jesus before the Incarnation. 
This is King Jesus. This is Emmanuel, God with us, God with them, walking through the fire. Right? This is Jesus. And although Nebuchadnezzar, who serves a lot of fake gods and doesn't know a real God if he saw one, doesn't understand that this is not one that looks like a son of the gods, but is the son of God, Nebuchadnezzar knows enough to say that's not human. That's divine. The fourth one, he's not just hanging out. He's the one providing the protection. He's the one that is getting them through this. He's the one. And later he refers to him as an angel. Again, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have any idea. He worships stuff that he makes. Right? He's clueless when it comes to what a real God is. But Nebuchadnezzar is able to see that that fourth man walking in the fire is not a man. That has to be some kind of God. And what I would tell you is that was none other than Jesus, the Son of God. And in the very same way that he delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace, God sends Jesus to deliver all of us through and from the fires of hell. The same way that God comes or God sent Jesus to deliver God sent Jesus to deliver us. And this is a glimpse of what God is going to do. Because Nebuchadnezzar says, what God is there that can save you from the fire? And our world would ask, what God is there that can save you from death? And our answer would simply be, our God. My God. My God's already defeated death in the grave once. He'll do it for me again. You say it's foolish for me to believe in the afterlife. It's foolish for me to believe in heaven. It's foolish for me to serve God. Okay. I know my God. My God's real. My God has saved me. And one day my God will fully and completely save me. And I don't have to walk through the fire because Jesus already has. And I've already been delivered. Amen? And so what is God revealing? God is revealing what it takes to follow Him, but God is also highlighting Jesus, who is yet to come, but who is going to come, who, as we stand here today, has already come. He's died on the cross. He's paid for our sins. He has made a way for us to be delivered from death, from the grave, from hell, from the flames. If we will repent of our sins, if we will trust and believe in Jesus, and if we are willing to follow him like this text demonstrates, then we will have eternal life. We will be saved, we will be delivered from our sin, and we won't have to worry about the fiery furnace. Amen? Because we will have put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And so as we come to a close, as we come to a point of decision, I've got two questions for you. One, have you trusted in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And two, are you following God at all cost? Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just you and God in the moment. I want to ask you again, have you trusted in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You may be in this building, you may be watching at home. Have you trusted in Jesus?
I'm not asking if you believe that He's God's Son. I'm not asking if you believe that He died on the cross, that He rose from the dead. All of those things are important, and yes, you must believe those things. But it's more than just believing those things. It is trusting God. It is trusting Jesus as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior. It is you coming to the point where you are willing to follow Jesus. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as you're watching at home, I just want to encourage you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, if you've never come to the place where you've given your life back to the Lord, then I want you to have an opportunity, opportunity to do so today. For those in the building, in just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of invitation, and I would love to share with you more about how you can give your heart and life to Jesus. If you're watching us online, then I would love for you to reach out to us via messenger, text, phone, however you want to. And I'd love to share with you more about how you can follow Jesus in your life as well. How you can be delivered from death in the grave. How you can have your eternal life secured. So if you feel God speaking to you, do not ignore that is God. And then secondly, believers, how are we doing when it comes to following God? Are we really following at all costs? Or are you or are we in the midst of a struggle? Are we in the midst of some difficulty? The reality is none of us are perfect. We will all struggle. We will all have times of difficulty. Most likely, you're either in the midst of a difficulty, you've just come out, or you're about to just go in. And so let me encourage you, Make the decision now that you are going to follow God at all costs. If you're in the midst of the struggle, confess and ask for God's help, ask for God's grace, and endure the difficulty. If you're just coming out, praise Him for His faithfulness in the midst of the difficulty. And if you don't know it yet, but you're just about to head in, make sure you commit today that you are going to follow God at all costs. This altar is open. I'm here to pray whatever and however the Lord leads. This is our opportunity to respond. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. And Lord, we thank you that you did send Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins so that we could have eternal life. So that we could be ushered into your family, into your eternal kingdom. And Lord, that we might never taste the, uh, the, the fires of hell. But Lord, that through faith in you, we would be delivered and we would be saved. And so Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that do not yet know you. I pray that you would call them unto yourself. And Lord, for those of us that do, I pray that you would empower us to follow after you at all costs. Lord, we love you and we thank you this morning. We surrender this time of invitation to you now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.